Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4. And what an incredible chapter it is. It's an amazing chapter, clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit for Paul to teach and to offer God's word to us. Ephesians 4, we'll start with up to verse 12 and... um, may include the last four verses as well. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I want to continue on there because I think this is, it was very important add-on to what he's saying here. Then, when this all happens, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by, every, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, in contrast to that, speaking the truth in love, Paul says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, in today's age, there are a lot of people that are lonely. Loneliness is epidemic. Research has shown that one in four, 25% of all people have feel that they have no one that they can confide in 
and no one that they would turn to to share with, a coworker, a friend, or a partner, even those that are married. There are many who do not feel they can actually open up and share. A study of 2,000 Americans examined how daily stressors affect their mental health and what prevents people from seeking out additional help or therapy. The results revealed that nine in 10 people admit to downplaying their emotions so they don't worry, so they won't worry or burden someone else. It also found that 18% of all depression cases could be attributed to loneliness. It's loneliness is also associated with many adverse health outcomes premature mortality, cardiovascular disease risk, and depression. An association with loneliness with an increased mortality, a further analysis showed that there were some regions of the study in which it increased the mortality risk by 26%. Have you ever heard of someone dying of loneliness? It does happen because it impacts many other aspects of health. Now we know this is not new. It's not just the day and age we live in, but it does seem to be worse and getting worse. People are being divided. We know that that has always been Satan's primary strategy is to pull people apart and to separate people to make people feel lonely, like you're on your own and you're dependent on your own, uh, on your own to, to fix problems. You can't share with anybody and there's nobody to walk with you in that journey. This was a challenge for the church in Paul's day in Ephesus, and it's a challenge for us today. And every, every era in between Jesus' day and ours has been filled with the church being challenged. The challenges that come from cultural influence, governmental battles, secular challenges. They have always been, there have always been difficult issues for people to struggle to get along, to agree, to stay in the communion of Christ. We know that that's a major challenge. And to that I want to say, what does God want? We know from not only this passage, but all through scripture, scripture and all through the, the purpose and life and ministry of Jesus, was that God wanted more than anything for us to be one with him and one with each other. To be one with God is what we'll reflect on a bit in this passage today. Why did Paul write Ephesians 4? What was significant about the book, the whole epistle of Ephesians? It was written to a, a trade city, a coastal city in Asia Minor, what is now modern day Turkey. The church was comprised of both former Jews and former Gentiles. Now, what's interesting about that is 
Wow, think of the background between those two groups of people and how vastly different they were. Think of some of the struggles for the Jews who were studied in the law and felt that they knew the law and had followed the law. And even though they became Christ followers, they were still stuck with that tendency to go back to the things that they most felt comfortable with. And we have that same tendency today. We have practices or preferences that we don't want to give up. And just imagine these Gentile believers where this stuff of the faith was all new to them and they didn't fully understand it. And then you also have groups of former Jews who still held on to much, many of the laws and understandings that were there and the kinds of dynamics and sparks that would fly between them about which was the right way and how Christ would shape something new that is Christ-centered and spirit-led in them was a challenge. What was Paul talking about? The primary focus of chapter 4, actually chapters 4 through 6, um, with, uh, was particularly about mutual interdependence of the Christians. In other words, you need each other. You don't maybe realize it, but you do. And you may not like each other, and you may not share the same preferences, and you may bring different perspectives to it. Now, you know, we know, of course, right? And I'll, I'll parentheses, I'm being facetious, I'll tell you ahead of time. We know, of course, that when you get married, you agree on everything. We know that, you, uh, that you're, you're comfortable with every practice the other one does. And you, uh, and you agree on the right way to, to roll the toilet paper or how to squeeze the toothpaste tube. You agree on all of that, right? Well, we know that's not true. We still have our preferences. And that's what Paul is addressing here is saying that is not as important as being one with God and one with each other. So the primary call here is to unity. When he says, make every effort, every effort, that's a lot of effort, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so that they can better do what they were called to do, which is to equip the saints for ministry until all of us come to unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, you're not just getting along, okay, Come on, everyone, get along. No, it's get along for the purpose that we share together in our mission for Christ and proclaiming the kingdom of God here and now breaking into this world and into that darkness. That loneliness is intended to be attacked with the power of the living God and the love of his followers who are willing to be disciples and live into not only their differences, but live into their shared mission of working together and functioning together. So it was a greater calling. And so when, when Paul says at the very beginning of, in verse 1, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, it is a very clear 
calling that he is, is challenging them with. So how do we attain being one with God? That's, that's going to be the challenge for this morning. Um, but I want you to look at verse 5. Because um, the New Testament offers us, and actually the Old Testament as well, differing points and different, different ways in which it describes the three entities of God. God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and we won't have time to get into all of that this morning, but this first section of this sermon series is focused on God the Father. And notice it says, we believe that, God, the, that the Father is above all, and over all, and in all. And so, above all, above us, means that we recognize that God is the creator, he's the redeemer, he's the sustainer. We recognize God for who he is, and we honor God for who he is. Everything that comes out of an understanding of the function of Jesus is always going to be in, in, in line with the Father. And everything that the Holy Spirit leads us in is always going to be in line with Jesus and with the Father. And so you have those three. Over all is God the Father. Through all is a reflection on our relationships. So what that through all means, another word that could be used there is among all. That God is among everyone. And that God is in all of us who have invited and called God to enter and join with our hearts in service. So to know God as God is the overall part. Um, in in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it reads that God may be all in all. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about God's supreme authority over everything, or even over death and every enemy. And that's the beginning place. You want to know where people begin to find healing? Is by giving up and giving over everything to allow God to reign in their lives. That decision is a decision that opens the door to a much greater peace, the, opens the door to relationships, and opens the door to our mission. And, and until that happens, until there's that recognition of God the Father being over all, we won't get to the among all or through all, and we won't get to the in all. We won't experience God's peace personally when we have not recognized the authority of God in our lives. And so we are called to know God as God. We're called to love others like God. In John 13, it says, in 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are commanded to love one another as Jesus does. It doesn't say there 
like one another. That we're not called to like everything about how we view things or share things or, or how we do certain things. That's not what it says. But the love of Christ was a sacrificial, self-giving love. He laid down his life for all who would believe in him. He, was, he rose again from death after his crucifixion. And he rose again to demonstrate that even victory over death is ours. So we can have victory over differences that we have. We can, we can find places that we unify together around God's word. It doesn't mean that we don't debate and discuss and uh, have differing views at times, but it does mean that our calling is clearly to have um, a loving relationship sustained with other people. And so we're called to love people like God loves us and in tangible ways. Even back in Proverbs 14.31, it says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So um, there was a story about that someone wrote about their father, and they were going to a circus, and there was a family with eight children in front of them. And this, this child, as they grew up, wrote how, what an impact that memory had for them because they were standing in line behind this family and they went to, the father of this family was getting out the money to pay for it and he did not have enough money for all of the family to be able to go in. And he said he watched his father drop a $20 bill on the ground. And, uh, and he reached down and picked it up and said, I, I believe this is yours. And he's, he said this, when the, the now adult, when he was, he was the, the giving person's uh, son, he said that witnessing that event and the, he said this other father turned and said with tears in his eyes, you don't know what this means to me. That is love. That is the love that says I'm willing to give in order to share. And, and the, this child that witnessed all this knowing what had happened said that story sticks out in their mind as the defining characteristic of his father. What is our defining characteristic? How is it that we, and, and will anybody know? Will anybody see it? Do they need to? No. But we will know. And we know that the affirmation of God and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in those kind situations of sharing love with somebody when they may not, in some cases, they may not even deserve it, but we give them love anyway. We share with them. That is how we know more about being one with God is when we experience practicing the same kind of love. Because let's face it, you know, and you often hear this radio guy say something like, you know, whenever somebody asks them how they're doing, 
they always say, better than I deserve. I'm sure you've heard of that phrase. It's like, yeah, I don't deserve it. None of us deserved the grace and love of Christ. But he gave it anyway. He didn't give it with the guarantee that we would all say yes to it. Many people don't. Many people go through life and they die in their loneliness or they die in their rejection of that kind of love. That is not our business. Our business is to love as Christ loved. And we're also called, well, in John 15, uh, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. Laying down our lives is the way that we find eternal life in the end. And, and finally, the other way that we learn how to be one with God is by, by serving. Notice uh, that there are many references to in all things. Um, in, in all, um, I love Romans uh, 8.28, I believe it is. For we know that in all things, God is working. Uh, in all things, God works out his purpose for us. And, and that sense of finding who we are, finding what our purpose is, 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 the, is the only way that we're going to come to a sense of oneness with God is if we're joining God in the mission that he's called us to. And that's why some are called to be prophets, teachers, evangelists. I don't buy for one instant that that is a, an exclusive list. I think Paul is listing that all of the leaders are there to disciple other leaders and to disciple others and to train others and to teach others so that everyone comes to maturity. That's discipleship. That's what Jesus did with the disciples who were sometimes clumsy, sometimes stuck their foot in their mouth. They got in their own way. A lot like us. We make mistakes. We blow it. Um, and... And we don't often like to admit it, but we kind of tend to want our own way. Um, but when we serve God's greater purpose, we find a wholeness because that's what we were designed and created for. And all that God is doing through Christ and the work of his spirit is to reshape us and remold us into the likeness that was intended to be the likeness of Christ. Uh, okay, now it popped into my head. For we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. All right, thank you. <laughs> it finally popped back into my head, so thank you. Serving God in mission, that is, God is in all of us. God is using all of us. He wants all of us to, to be able to find who we are and to be one with God by following Jesus, by serving with the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we can't do it. We know that. If we do it on our own, we'll probably fail. But when we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't. I don't have time, but I would, I would uh, call you to take a look at Isaiah 55. I, Isaiah 55 
basically promises that God will not send his word out without it returning to him, accomplishing its purpose. Now that's that breath of God, the Ruach of God, breathed into the life of Jesus, breathed into our lives, breathed into our spiritual hearts, and, and breathed into our sense of purpose and calling, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that breath of God is for us to not hold on to it. Come to, come to faith, come to a church, come to a place where it's comfortable, we like everything, and it's really good, and it's perfect. And we don't want it to change. No, it isn't just for us to sit there with it, it's for us to use it and let that breath of God go out from us in loving ways to other people. And so instead of uh, what, what he's, when he said this, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is from Corinthians. And you know, it's that calling of saying, we're all, we all have a place of work and mission to respond to. So our response to God, being above all and through all and in all, is for us to say, in all, in all, all in. I know Doug preached about all in a while back, I think it was. Um, so look at 1 Thessalonians, I'll wrap up here. But I just want to demonstrate to you through God's word how this isn't a part-time hobby. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, 19, 20. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Romans 8, 28, the one I already mentioned. In all things, God works for the good. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in every situation, we're turning to the Lord. We're turning to the Lord. We're giving thanks to the Lord. We're responding to the Lord. And in all of that, God receives our praise and gives us the direction and strength that we need for whatever hour we're facing. When the church is solidly based on scripture and we're doing what we're called to be doing, then the church will be strong mature, filled with Christ, committed to Christ, devoted to disciple each other, and growing in faith, preparing and performing the, the work of God, unswayed by false doctrines, and believe me, they aren't diminishing in number anytime soon. There's plenty of them out there. Uh, but filled with thanksgiving, love, and joyful service. Now I'll close with this this story that struck me as being significant. Bill Broadhurst was running in a 10K run, the Pepsi 10K in Omaha, Nebraska, a race of 6.2 miles. Um, 
Broadhurst, who is a Christian, is slowed by a brain aneurysm that he suffered when he was a child. It left permanent damage for the rest of his life. He was partially paralyzed on the left side, but he wanted to finish this 10K despite the obstacle. He was determined to run because his hero runner, by a guy by the name of Bill Rogers, was in the race that day. Rogers was a great runner, and he ended up running that race in 29 minutes, 37 seconds. The other runners finished in 30 to 50 minutes. The joggers crossed the line in 60 or 70 minutes. It would take Bill Broadhurst much longer. A couple of kids on bikes rode beside him and said, Hey, mister, are you still running the race? It's been over for hours. Some, someone's already finished first and won. Why don't you quit? The race is over. Broadhurst replied, I can't. I have to make it to my hero at the end of the line. And so he kept running. Two hours earlier, Bill Rogers had finished, and now Bill was nearing the place where the finish line was. As he ran, his left side was so numb, he wanted to quit. He wanted to drop out. After two hours, cars were back to Back in the streets, it was getting dark on a Saturday afternoon, and running through the intersections became difficult. One policeman stopped cars to let him cross. Nice lady handed him some water. At two hours and 20 minutes, he said, the pain was so bad and throbbing so much that I wasn't sure I could make it and didn't, didn't particularly feel like I wanted to. Then he saw the end, and they had already taken the banner down, and the finish line was no longer there, but he knew where it had been. And he ran down the street on the sidewalk, saw the banner had gone and his heart sank, but he decided, it's right there, I've got to finish. As he approached the place that, where he knew the finish line would be, Bill Rogers, the winner of the 10K, and 30 other people came walking out from an alley with the banner and a makeshift finish line they laid down, strung the ribbon across the road, and Bill brought her, stumbled across that finish line. And there stood his hero, Bill Rogers, who with open arms welcomed Broadhurst across the finish line and hugged him. And then Rogers did this. He took the gold medal from around his neck and put it around the neck of the last runner to cross the line. And Rogers said, Broadhurst, you're the winner because you never quit. You never quit. Take the gold. God calls us to never quit, to keep running, because we know that our hero, Jesus Christ, is there at the finish line waiting for us, and will be there to celebrate with us. What an empowering act of love that Rogers did. He understood the meaning of self-giving love. He understood the meaning of what the church should all be about, is just encouraging each other and watching for each other. And if any of you are are interested in, in pursuing that, please let one of us know, or if you'd like to talk with one of us pastors, 
And for those that are here every Sunday and, and participating, pray for opportunities to be that Bill Rogers to others. When we're mature in our faith, we have everything we need, but others don't. And others are still running this race and they may be coming two hours late and it may be later in their life or it may be earlier, but nonetheless, let's be the hands and feet of Christ waiting to minister to those who need the encouragement and the strength because just as there is for us, there is gold for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. What an incredible encouragement for us. In Philippians 3, Paul also said, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May we be one with God as we run that kind of a race for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Anytime that you can. We hope God is and continues to be a strong encouragement in your life. If you have any questions or prayer concerns that you'd like to share with the pastor, we encourage you to contact the church office uh, anytime. You can also, um, our phone number is, is listed in, in, uh, publicly. It's 574-862-2595. Or you can email us at info at yellowcreekmc.org. Yellowcreekmc.org. We also encourage you to visit our website yellowcreekmc.org and to stay updated with our events Facebook page at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church if you are in the Goshen Elkhart area of northern Indiana we invite you to join us in person at 64901 Kinder Road 11 uh, the Brick Church building at the northwest corner of 11 and Kinder Roads 11 and Kinder Roads 38 our Sunday morning worship begins at 9 with our Sunday school classes, meeting for fellowship, study, and discussion following at 10.30. Wednesday evening classes and activities for all ages throughout the year um, are available and giving opportunities for growing and a priority for nurturing biblical faith in our children, youth, and young adults and adults. May God bless you today and this week. Our prayer is that you feel God's love and presence in your life as he walks with you day to day. Blessings to all of you.